Perfect. We will get going. So again, thank you so much for joining us for this e-commerce podcast all about unleashing your inner disruptor and helping to close the best in class experience gap. Um, some introductions. My name is Laura Myers. I'm the content marketing strategist at Elastic Path. And I'm joined by my colleague, Alex Saroyan, a director here also at Elastic Path. Before we dive in, I have one housekeeping item to cover. This podcast was designed to be sort of expressed, but very rich in ideas and conducive to conversation. So if there's anything you'd like us to elaborate on or have questions about, please feel free to use the Q&A tab within this podcast, and we'll touch on those at the end. We are more than excited to have you all join us and keen to enhance your understanding of the topic. So please, before I turn it over to Alex, don't forget to ask questions if you have any. Alex, take it away. Thanks very much, Laura. So I suppose before I start, it's a little bit about me because everyone loves talking about themselves. Um, my name is Alex Sorin, as Laurie just mentioned. I'm a director here at uh, Elastic Path. And over the last 20 years, I've helped the world's largest organizations select and also deliver on software platforms ranging from core IT plumbing to ERP, CRM, commodity trading and risk management systems, digital marketing systems, and also in e-commerce. The last five years in particular, I've been spent advising board level representatives of the world's largest brands on how to execute successful digital transformation strategies. Today, I'd like to distill a lot of that experience into a subject that is now a necessity to any brand that sells something to someone somewhere. In short, every brand in the world. The subject I mentioned is how to create and monetize a best-in-class experience for your customers. Why? Because best-in-class experiences are the ones your customers choose when they choose who they do business with. Unfortunately, today, after over 20 years of web and internet development, most companies are suffering from a legacy of IT investments that get in the way of creating a best-in-class experience. What I'd like to show is how the greatest challenge in the coming 18 months will be to overcome this legacy. And the reason why legacy is your biggest challenge is because it's the biggest barrier to the three most important things in the commercial business. Delighting customers, increasing margin, and winning market share. Now, all good things come in threes, have you seen already? So I'll start by looking at how legacy IT has fallen short of the need to create innovative commerce experiences. We'll look at three contributing factors to the acceleration of this failure, and finally, I'll explain why, in 2020, headless commerce will be the only way to deliver against your business imperatives faster. But before all that, let's take a short trip back in time. History often shows us that when we are facing something today, we faced it before, and it's nothing new. So I'm going to start a journey at the beginning of the 1900s, back in the US of A, in a world where digital wasn't even a thing yet. Back in a time when a certain man once said, they can have anything they want, just make it black. We all know the quote, and we know who said it, Henry Ford. Henry Ford, the man we all credit with inventing the production line. But that's not entirely true. In fact, Ransom Eli Olds, this gentleman here, patented the assembly line in 1901, which allowed him to create the early Oldsmobile empire. In the first decade of the 1900s, Mr. Olds and his production line owned the American auto market. Why? Because quite simply, they could supply demand faster than anyone else. Kind of like Netscape and AOL back in the early 1900s, if you're old enough to remember that, 1990s to be fair. 
Now, we also know how Ford famously said that if he had asked the customer what they wanted, we would have ended up with faster horses. But that's also not true. What is true is that Ford didn't like listening to customers. And that, along with his next mistake, nearly killed his company. You see, Ford took Old's idea and improved it through the use of newly invented automation tools like conveyor belts. Production time went from 36 hours to 90 minutes. The era of mass production had arrived. Ford could outstrip the supply of any other manufacturer in a market that had more demand than suppliers could match. Kind of like ERP app servers and commerce platforms giving brands an edge in the mid 90s. But with that mass production came mass adoption. With mass adoption came increased customer expectations and Ford wasn't prepared for what happened next. In the coming years, his inflexible production line, fantastic as it was for producing the Model T Ford we see here, it was going to be the death of his market share. So let's take a look at how this plays out over the first 35 years of the 1900s. Here we see Oldsmobile's early adoption of the assembly line giving him the edge. Then Ford's automation improvements creating mass production, allowing Ford to go from 10,000 units in 1908 to over a million per year in 1920. During this time though, the market matured and customers' expectations had risen with that maturity. In 1921, around 66% of the cars sold in the USA were Ford. By 1927, it was less than 10%. Why? Because along came disruption. Alfred Sloan and General Motors with a car for every person pocket. Ford's monolithic production line could not cope with the variety and flexibility the automobile market demanded now. By the time Ford finally retooled in around 1934, they'd lost the market. I use this story to illustrate how legacy systems and processes cannot be allowed to get in the way of market innovation, especially as that market moves towards a demand-driven market. What I love about this, Alex, is it's such an example of what we're seeing today. There's such a misconception that disruption is a symptom of the digital age, but that's not really what it is at all. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, and as I mentioned, history often provides us with perfect proxies for actual situations and this is exactly where we are in 2019. In 2019 we're seeing a massive amount of digital disruption that is killing the very brands that have created the original online commerce experiences. So let's just quickly look at this chart and I'll quickly explain it. On the left axis of this chart we're looking at a total budgetary spend of 100%. In the chart we look at the ratio of that 100% spent on IT, the blue band, and the ratio spent on experience, the grey band. On the right axis, we look at the value your customer perceives from your spend up to 100%. And what tends to happen is the more you spend on digital experience, the more your customer perceives value. Your spend is defined either on the red line or on the green line. I think we can all guess which one you'd rather be on. In 1995, with only desktop to worry about, out there on the left of the chart, and when UX was still gooey, companies could afford to ignore the experience and spend a tiny percentage of their budget on digital experience. As time progressed and technical innovations such as the smartphone were adopted faster than any other technology in human history, the market matured, technology matured, and customers expected more. Today, in order to achieve more customer perceived value, you need to be spending more on the experience. Unfortunately, Enterprise IT has created a legacy inertia that doesn't allow enterprise brands to spend as much on the experience. This has opened up a gap between the best-in-class experiences shown here on the green line 
and those of the enterprise experiences on the red line. The inability of legacy IT to overcome its inertia has allowed disruptors to enter the market, and the wider that gap is, the more likely disruption is occurring. Now, as time progresses and machine learning and AI algorithms begin to control more and more of the customer experience and the value that customers perceive, if you're not on that green line, you're irrelevant. And you've really keyed in on the three main areas that are accelerating disruption today. Yeah, I try to, as I said before, distill things down into three because people remember three things. But um, I think there are three things. First, it's um, you know, Amazon, let's be honest. Um, and the other is what I term as the DBP syndrome. And the final is deconstructed offerings and cooperation. Bit of a mouthful, but it'll become clear. Let's start with Amazon. With good reason, we start with Amazon because on calls with investors in 2018, American companies in the Fortune 500 mentioned Amazon more times than any other company, more times than Trump, and almost as many times as they mentioned taxes. To say that Amazon is on the minds of most board level representatives of most Fortune 500 country, companies would be a total understatement. A perfect example of how Amazon is beginning to dominate outside of core retail, core B2C retail that we know them for, is the real estate market. In 2018, Amazon wasn't present really in the real estate market. It was valued at $7 trillion. In 2019, Amazon is already moving to dominate this market, not by buying it, but by creating a set of services and partnerships that deliver what customers want. Later on, we'll look at how an Elastic Path customer in the pharmaceutical market has turned to Elastic Path specifically to help counter the threat of Amazon's incursions into US healthcare. So given Amazon is so important, we thought we would ask customers what they really want we conducted a recent survey. And the chances are, most of your customers shop with Amazon. Chances are, they love that experience. And if anything, they want more convenience. What these three stats showed us was that if you're not at least as good as Amazon, you're not their first choice. And if you're not their first choice, you might as well be second page on a Google search ranking. So, how can you win against Amazon? That's, that's the question that a lot of execs are asking themselves today. How do we win? Well, one way could be fight them in the courts. But most of us don't enjoy the physical and financial muscle that eBay does to do that. Going head to head with the world's biggest retailer is a questionable strategy for the best of us. We believe your best bet is to focus on what your customer wants. And what we found was this. The top rated qualities of the Amazon offering and indeed of general shopping experiences are product selection, price, and convenience. These two brands have focused specifically on those three things. Seven years ago, they were being written off for not being able to compete with Amazon. They were being told that Amazon would kill them. Today, they're delivering amazing results by focusing on what the customer wants. Unified commerce experiences that deliver on convenience. Now let's take a look at the DBP syndrome. You probably guess what DBP stands for. It's the duck-billed platypus. The duck-billed platypus was a mystery of science and nature for over 80 years. It looks like a duck. 
So it's a bird. Lays eggs. So yeah, definitely, definitely a bird. 100%, I reckon it's a bird. But also it weans its young. So maybe it's a mammal. But wait, it has no nipples. That's confusing. Um, let's see, how does it eat? How does it hunt? Well, apparently, like sharks, it uses electromagnetism to find its prey. And finally, as if all this wasn't confusing enough, it's poisonous. This cute little creature can kill you. Science has been baffled by it, still frankly is a little bit baffled by this creature. And it's a great analogy for the trouble I've seen in most companies as they try and identify their customers. If I ask 10 different executives who their customers are, you'll probably get 15 different answers. And that will depend on the time of day I ask them. The thing is, if you can't identify your customers, how do you maintain an ability to engage with them correctly? If you're not sure if they're researchers or consumers, advocates or detractors, followers or believers, loyalists or hunters, sharers or owners, how do you sell to them effectively? Worse still, while 20 years later, we're still trying to implement our beloved 360-degree view of the customer, the customer is exposed to so much digital noise that such a two-dimensional paradigm is irrelevant in 2020. Given the number of variables they're exposed to across all the channels they choose to engage with us, we need to be modeling the customer like we would model a weather system. So I think none of this was more apparent than in our recent survey, which I mentioned earlier. We saw how shoppers wanted three things, convenience, selection, and price. Yet companies seem totally unable to realize the obvious. Like on the left there, checkout lines are annoying. Some industries are so bad as to be almost impossibly disconnected with the customer's perception of value. And in spite of every piece of data to describe the importance of customer experience to the bottom line, hardly any boards are focused on it. To win, you just have to focus on what customers want, convenience, selection, and price. Finally, let's look at the future a little bit and see what your place might be in it. Now, let's go back a little bit, that's what I like to do, and see what history teaches us. In the early 90s, the best strategic thinkers taught us to think of our big companies as elephants, and that somehow if we taught them to dance, we could make them agile. That's great. Then in the early 2000s, bigger minds with bigger strategies, they told us to think bigger, to teach our elephants to fly. But it's almost 2020, and I'd question whether a mental image of a slow lumbering beast is the best way we have to imagine how innovative we can be. No, in 2019, we need to emulate leaders like Isabel Koffer, an incredible CEO. She's leading a strategy so innovative as to completely reinvent one of the largest energy companies in the world. Her vision is not bounded by what was, or an inward-looking perspective, but what could be if NG embrace all the plurality of opportunity available across their portfolio. Earlier last year, I had the pleasure of listening to this incredibly interesting and expert chat speak at the DLD Forum in Munich. Christoph Groth is the man responsible for making autonomous driving a reality for BMW's customers. He made a statement that struck me as incredibly humble. And most people would agree BMW has never been labeled as a company long on humility. However, the point he made implied that finally, global brands are understanding that humility and cooperation is critical to the success of their business. He made the point 
that no single car, no single manufacturer, no single AI capability could possibly ensure the safety of road users in an autonomous future. He did, delivered a phrase that has stuck with me since. Now, to truly understand the importance of this phrase, you also need to grasp the importance of open data, of ecosystems, and competition paradigms that turn old-school competitive models on their head. Because without a fair and liquid data economy, autonomous cars simply won't exist. So why do I cite these two giants of industry and their thinking? Because in the future, you need to be able to work in an ecosystem that is fluid, responsive, and actively responding to threats and opportunities. Today's competitors might be tomorrow's partners. Your offering today will look very different in the future, and the way you deliver it, the channel your customers access it, whether they own or share it, how they consume it, that'll all be changing at a rate greater than most companies today can cope with. In 2020, you will have to have systems flexible enough to cope with a very uncertain future. Because in 2020, the structural integrity of what you call your offering and the operational ownership of data will both be history. A perfect example of this is in the tired old world of electricity supply. I showed you the view of Isabella Engie, and there's a reason why she is such a strong advocate for disruptive innovation. Her industry is getting nailed. Here's a chart showing the UK domestic energy supply market. Back in 2004, the world was lovely. Stick suppliers, shared the market, fairly stable, everything was great. No reason to be innovative, everything was fine as it was, they chopped and changed customers, things were cool. Then, the dark days of 2010, and comparison engines, those evil disintermediating things. Competition and startups with no legacy inertia, how very dare they. From 2010 onwards, the power supply market in the UK was a very different beast with two very obvious trends. Those old school big six suppliers were busy hemorrhaging customers, whilst the customer centric startups were stealing them with ease. No company is a better example than Bulb. With one product and a simple user journey, they can onboard customers in less than a few minutes. They aren't the cheapest, but they are the most customer friendly. In the space of less than five years, they've stolen over 5% of the UK market. That's 1.3 million loyal customers, all of them advocates in less than five years and with a minute fraction of the customer acquisition spend of the big six. So where does that leave us today? At one end of the journey, we're personalizing our marketing communications. At the other end, we're asking for feedback to improve the experience. But when it comes to the physical experience, when it comes to the digital experience, we're not actually doing much of it at all. Why? Because legacy. Because legacy has to be the single most used excuse ever for delivering a substandard customer experience. I use this picture because it's the only time I've ever seen legacy looking even remotely cool. Trust me, your customers and employees don't think legacy is cool. Not even IT thinks legacy is cool. Worse still, your competitors don't suffer legacy inertia. And as we've seen in the UK, and especially in the power market, that gives them an advantage. 
At Elastic Path, we recognize your legacy systems aren't going anywhere soon. And in fact, your legacy systems are probably a source of operational excellence. So you don't want to get rid of them. But you need to respond to your customers' desires and your competitors' threats faster. You need to be spending more on digital experiences that make a real world impact, which is why 64% of marketers that we questioned are going to adopt a headless API first commerce strategy. By doing so, we are enabling customers from every kind of industry, from cruises to communications, to cars and clothes, to wrap their creaking old skeletons and give the customer an experience that feels more Tron than Toy Story. That experience gap here is killing your brand. And the critical success factor in the next 18 months will be for brands to adapt their budgets to focus more on digital experience. Because as history has shown us, if it takes too long to retool your business to meet the needs of a new market demand, your business is doomed. That retooling of your red line to be on the green line needs to happen fast, but also in a way that carefully maintains all that is great about your business, which is why we created an accelerated path towards a best-in-class commerce experience. Of the many reasons our customers choose Elastic Path, the consistent one is velocity. They know they have a complex business. They know their customers demand unified experiences, and they know they need to deliver it all now. But what they also know is that if they're going to be successful, they have to be fully focused on delivering innovative, differentiated experiences and to stop worrying about their commerce infrastructure. So what we've done is we've made it easy for them. We've allowed Carnival Cruises, as an example, to create IoT-enabled smart cities on the sea, hyper-personalized holiday experiences that maximize the opportunity to monetize each and every interaction with their guests. T-Mobile, who in six weeks delivered a Facebook Messenger chatbot to 80 million customers, a chatbot that integrated directly into their legacy CRM systems and allowed their customers to purchase extra data, different plans from within the chatbot experience. Swisscom, who is a market leader in telecommunications in Switzerland, with an incredibly complex multiplayer offer, they need to be setting the national benchmarks for customer experience. They are the number one. They have between 80 and 95% market penetration across their product portfolio. And if they're not the best, well, they're going to slowly move into second place. And finally, Boulanger, who in the ultra competitive world of electronics retailing are creating unified shopping experiences that bring customers and employees together on the same journey online and in store. Our most recent customer go live with Elastic Path is in an industry I've mentioned before, the American healthcare industry. That industry has been massively disrupted by Amazon and that disruption is going to get worse and worse. They came to us because they had to respond and we allowed them to respond within 34 days. That is the kind of high velocity commerce you can get with a headless solution. I started talking about solutions and I've mentioned the word headless a few times and we're all involved with commerce. So when you are looking for a solution, who should you choose? Well, there's a few different choices. You could choose a platform like an SAP or an Oracle, a Salesforce or an Adobe. And they're fantastic, they're full of functionality. Um, but unfortunately, they rely on you having everything else in the box. 
they're also notoriously not very open. So integrating to all those new and exciting IoT and 5G opportunities, all those new and interesting AR, VR, mixed reality experiences, not so much. Although, to be fair, you probably only consider them because you've already got something in the platform and, you know, maybe the procurement manager can get them to throw it in cheap. Another option is DIY. Toolkits like Commerce Tools and Spryker. Again, super companies really at the forefront of IT architecture. However, in your drive to rebuild a commerce platform from all of their different constituent parts, you might find you're back to square one, spending more on the back end than on the front end, more on building a brand new microservices IT, IT infrastructure, turning yourself into, in essence, another IT shop, rather than spending it all on the customer. What we believe at Elastic Path is there's a better way pure headless commerce. Elastic Path is the only software platform designed from the ground up to be headless and allow you to focus the majority of your time and budget on the front-end customer experience. We've created super scalable, scalable platforms that, as I showed you earlier, enabled the most innovative companies in the world. They choose us because we let them get on with being who they want to be. They, we let them get on with who their customers want them to be. That's the end now. So I'd like to thank you for being uh, with me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my story. I hope the uh, headless commerce story meant something to you. And uh, if you'd like to ask any questions, now would be the time. Thank you so much, Alex. I love how you um, you really equate headless commerce to that notion of velocity, which is such an important thing to think about when you're thinking about the advantages of headless commerce. Now, if anyone has any questions, please drop them in. We have a couple questions that came in already. So the first one for you, Alex, is does legacy commerce technology have to be replaced by headless solution all at once? Simple answer, absolutely not. No. Um, and to answer that properly, I'll quote, in fact, a, um, one of our customers that I've mentioned already, T-Mobile. Um, and if anybody's interested, I've got a little video of uh, their head of um, product talking to this very story. In fact, with Elastic Path, we've helped many customers move gradually away from legacy, both legacy architecture and also legacy commerce platforms. As an example, our Cortex API layer allows you to wrap your existing commerce infrastructure with Cortex, and we can then pass in our capabilities gradually on a migration strategy so that, for example, you can keep the whole customer journey and then use our basket and checkout capabilities and gradually move upwards, so to speak, in the customer journey towards the search and the merch end of the spectrum. Fantastic. Okay, question number two. Is Headless better suited for a B2B model than a B2B? Um, in all honesty, uh, there, I don't think there, there is really an answer to this. Uh, you just throw me off there. The B2B and B2C, they have obviously very different needs, but Headless isn't, isn't specific to one type of um, engagement model. Um, headless really is just the ability to be able to place commercial transactional capability into any experience. So whether you're using a, an Apple Watch or an iPad or um, a laptop, it doesn't really matter. Whatever the experience, you can turn it into a transaction. So as an example with Carnival Cruises, their B2C experience um, allows a, uh, a guest to wear a medallion and simply walk around the ship and buy things with the medallion, true IoT-enabled commerce. From a B2B perspective, we've got customers like Vert um, who are enabling um, you know, multi-level cooperative um, companies to sell their products through various different catalogs 
through various different endpoints. Um, and, and it's all using the same technology and the same principles, so to speak. Fantastic. All right. Well, if there are no other questions, we will let everyone get on about their day. Um, we hope you, you know, we hope to have inspired your inner disruptor and hope you've enjoyed Alex's wonderful story about the history of commerce and how we can remain resilient in the era of disruption. If you have any more thoughts or questions about the guide about um, headless commerce, please read our guide to headless commerce. It's a fantastic distillation of the headless commerce conversation, sort of stripping away all those marketing buzzwords you often see and just simply sharing everything you need to know to understand its true value. If there's anything else you'd like to know pertaining directly to your business when it comes to headless commerce or to see headless commerce in action, please reach out to our team. On behalf of Alex and I, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much.